Well, guys, thanks again for joining us this weekend online here at Grace. And I am looking forward to next weekend uh, when those of us who are ready and comfortable are going to start meeting together again uh, live and in person. And so I really look forward to seeing you and uh, connecting with you. And then, of course, those of you who aren't ready yet to do that, I'll see you right here online like we've been the last several months. I also wanted to tell all of you uh, about something exciting that's going to happen Sunday evening at seven o'clock. Uh, we're going to broadcast a roundtable uh, between myself and Bishop Joey Johnson, uh, Kent Boyd, and Tim Armstrong. Uh, of course, I'm the senior pastor of Grace Church. Uh, Bishop Johnson is the senior pastor of the House of the Lord. Uh, Kent Boyd is the director of Love Akron. And Tim Armstrong is a senior pastor of the chapel. And I uh, just reached out to my friends and said, can we get this issue of race, get this issue of disunity, and kind of address these cultural issues that have boiled over in our culture right now and bring to bear the heart and the mind of God and do that through our relationships of friendship and respect, kind of as fellow clergy in the Akron area. So look for that on our broadcast channels on Sunday evening at seven o'clock. And I think you'll find it helpful and enlightening. I know I enjoy doing it a ton and want to put the kind of the voice of Jesus out into uh, what's going on in our culture right now. And that's really what I want to talk about this weekend. That's the, that's the conversation that, that I want to have. All of us know that uh, our culture and our country and even our own cities are, are on edge right now. That frustrations and tensions and pain that have really been flowing under the surface for years and decades have, have broken through some fissures and they're erupting in different parts of our country. And even in our, our personal lives, our friendships and our social media feeds, and this question of, of what, what, is, what is justice and what isn't justice, and how does that play into race relations, and where is God in the middle of that conversation? And so this weekend, what I, what I hope to do is, is bring kind of a biblical voice to that by really walking through the scriptures and, and understanding what God has, has to say. Uh, these problems that we're watching or even being a part of or even happening in front of us, these aren't things that popped up, uh, up overnight. Uh, this isn't just one act of injustice with George Floyd or another act of injustice down in the Atlanta area. It's not an incident here or there. Uh, these are long-standing issues where parts of our country and parts of our fellow brethren have said, you know, I just, I can't take it anymore. And they've started to protest and started to make their voices known. And it's fascinating as you talk to people, it's fascinating the different perspectives that, that people have. Uh, some people would look and say, you know, there, there's really kind of two views of our country and depending on how you grew up and where you grew up and sometimes the color of your skin, it affects your view of our country in a very, very deep way. 
Uh, some would look at our country as the land of opportunity. And some would look at our country as a land that looks like a land of oppression, where I can't get ahead and I can't get a break. And, and people are looking at the color of my skin, not the content of my heart. Some in our country would look at our country and say it's a place of safety and security, and I love it here, and I always feel safe when I'm here. And others who are also our fellow citizens and also a part of our country would look and say, I live in a land of scrutiny and fear. If I drive into the wrong neighborhood or if I'm at the wrong store or the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong skin color, I don't feel safe and secure. I feel scrutinized and, and I feel like I'm being stared at or criticized for that very thing. And so as the body of Christ, I think it's really important that we hear each other in that, that we see things differently. We have a different background historically and even in our present realities. And what I found is that that those differences then play out kind of in the lives of ordinary people like, like you and me. Uh, these aren't just groups on the left politically or groups on the right politically, and they're not just scenes on social media or on television, but these differences, these perspectives show up in our lives in a very individual way. Some of us in the body of Christ have been raised to fear authorities and not be sure what to expect and almost to expect the, the, the prejudices that can come with the color of our, of our skin. Some of us have looked and said, I'm gonna exercise my, my rights and I'm gonna protest peacefully and I'm gonna let my voice be known and I'm, I'm gonna let people know how I feel some of us see the lawlessness in some of what's happening on our streets and we're scared by it or angered by it or frustrated by it. We don't relate to it at all. We have a different background and a different perspective. Some of us look at the authorities and they would scare us. Some of us look at the authorities and we would appreciate them and respect them. And the temptation is to group everybody Instead of looking at individuals, I can introduce you to brothers and sisters in Christ who have been objects of bigotry and racism and oppression. And I can introduce you to police officers and governmental authorities who are loving, selfless, sacrificial servants of God and our community. And so when we push each other into these groups, we lose the conversation. And, and what I want to try to do this weekend is have the conversation of what's actually happening in reality in people's lives, what our actual perspectives are, and maybe what God would have to say about it and how that can be a source of help and healing and even understanding among us, right? Now this weekend, I'm gonna talk specifically to followers of Jesus. And so as a Christ follower, I'm not asking you to listen to me or my opinion necessarily. I wanna show you what God's word says. We're gonna look at a lot of scripture where God is very, very clear about how we love each other and love our neighbors around us. 
And so this is a place for us, the scripture will be a place of authority for us, that we will allow to, to shape our lives. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then what I'm laying out for you is what you should expect from a Christ follower. As someone who says, I want my life to be under God's authority and God's definition and direction, then this is what God's word says. And you would expect to look at someone who claims the name of Jesus and see them striving to bring these things into their lives. Now, I know this is a complicated conversation, and I know it's a sensitive one. And so I'm going to ask for a couple of things from you. One is to listen to the whole conversation. And let's listen to, to the whole context of what God has to say and what I'm trying to communicate. The second thing I'm going to ask from you is I'm going to ask you to forgive me if I step on a landmine that I didn't know was there. I'll be honest with you. Uh, language changes and sensitivities get altered. And I very well may bump into something that I didn't know was an issue or I might say something in a way that I didn't know wasn't supposed to be said that way. And I want to kind of apologize for that out the gate. That any way that I misspeak or anything that I bump into like that is unintentional. It's not my heart and it's not my desire. So I'm going to ask you to kind of be gracious with me about that. Okay? So I think we should pray together. Let's pray together and then we'll start looking together at what God's word has to say. Would you, would you pray with me right now? Jesus, as we talk and we talk into uh, our family rooms or our our back porches, our cars, or wherever we're receiving this conversation right now, would you, through your Holy Spirit, meet us in that place? And as a church family, as a group of believers, would you unite us? Would you help us to hear each other? Would you help us to trust each other? And more than all of that, Jesus, would you help us to hear you and trust you and unify and yield to what what you say and how you tell us that we should live our lives and how we should love you and love each other. So God, let this be a, a healing time and a helpful time and a clarifying time that we can hear your heart and we can understand each other in a deeper way. So guide us in these moments, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So guys, what I did was I, I just started to go through the scripture a little bit and my desire is, is to make the, the heart and the mind of Jesus kind of clear and accessible, to, to bring that out to the forefront. And I know that in the middle of this conversation, there, there's a bunch of good people all over it who just are a little bit confused and not sure what to think or how to feel or even how to categorize what's going on. And so we're going to look to God's word to bring clarity and definitions to, to these things that we're struggling with, okay? So basically what I did was I went through and I just marked out some principles in scripture that would apply directly to kind of the cultural situation we're living in right now. So here's where we'll start. When we think about Jesus's perspective, so as we look at things in scripture and, and we kind of get our head around what God would have to say that the first principle I'd pull out is this, that the Bible says this, that it is impossible to love God and to hate your brother. If I'm a Christ follower and I claim to be a Christian, 
and I say that, that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and the definer and the director of my life, the scripture would say with extreme clarity that I cannot love God and hate my brother. First John chapter 4, verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I cannot make the claim that Jesus is my Lord and Savior and hate my brother and sister or my neighbor in any capacity. What that means from Scripture with clarity that in the body of Christ and in the heart of the follower of Jesus there is no room for racism, zero. That as a follower of Christ, I would never look at another human being and look at the color of their skin or even their cultural background or, or that where, they, where they come from in their political perspectives. There is zero room for hatred from a follower of Jesus Christ toward another human being. And racism and prejudice and bigotry should in no way define and direct the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. It should in no way define and direct the life, the organization, or the acceptance of the church of Jesus Christ. And it is impossible for me to look at another person and say, I hate you but I love Christ. I cannot hate what Jesus loves and loves Jesus and love Jesus. And if I am doing that, God looked at me and God looked at you and said, you are a liar. You are lying to yourself and you're lying to the people around you. There is zero room, zero room for racism and bigotry within the church of Jesus Christ and within the heart and the mind of the follower of Jesus Christ. And the second principle that I laid out is, is this, it's tied to it, that every human being is created in the image of God and therefore worthy of dignity and respect. The Bible is very clear in Genesis that when God created humanity, he, Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said this, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Our human dignity is derived from our creation that when God created humanity, he made us in his image. We bear the image of God. We have a soul. We have a heart. Every human being is equal in that way before God. And God loves and God cherishes and God purposely created us to reflect his dignity, his worth, his respect, and to be objects of his love. And this is to be a distinctive of the church. This is something that, that we would look at and say, we value every life. We value an unborn life. We value every human being from every race, color, creed. We value an elderly life or a frail life. We value human life because human life reflects the wonder of God. It reflects the creativity of God. It reflects the value and the dignity of God. 
And our dignity as human beings does not come from our socioeconomic standing. It certainly does not come from the color of our skin. It doesn't come from our earthly nationality. It comes from the creator himself who created us in his image, who values our heart and our life, and who gave his son to redeem every human being, right? He loved every human being. He wished that no human being would perish. And that's to be reflected in the heart and the life of a Christ follower and to be reflected in our interactions with the people around us. A third principle that we drew out of scripture was this, that the people of God should always be on the side of justice. The people of God should always be on the side of justice. The scripture says this, Jesus in Luke 18 says, and will, will, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, I, I will see that they get justice and quickly. For a Christ follower, this is a big deal. Because later on in the scripture, when the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, don't take revenge into your own hands. As a Christ follower, as a child of God, one of the things that allows me to respond in those ways is I know that I serve a just God and injustice will not go unaddressed and it will not go unpunished. Those words are directly from Jesus. Now, if God is a God of justice and this is his heart and his promise, then God's people are to be people of justice. In fact, Micah tells us this in chapter six, verse eight. He says, has he shown you, O mortal, what is good? And what does God require of you? What does he require of you? Not what does he wish, not what does he hope, what does not he say you should do if you're able to do it and get around to it? What does he require of you? That you act justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. For the people of God, this is something that is, is a huge and central part of our interaction as a follower of Jesus Christ. That I act with justice at all times in every way. That, that I love mercy. I don't begrudgingly give mercy. I love it. I can't wait to give it. And then I walk in humility with my God. And that should reflect the church of Jesus. And that should reflect, be reflected in the heart and the actions of his followers. This is what God wants from his people. Now let's talk about this for a minute right? Because I think we have to be honest about it. I think we have to be honest that over the history of the church, you can see a very strong pattern of people who claim the name of Jesus, ignoring the heart of Jesus in this area. We just have to be honest about that. And we have to own that as the people of God and as people who would say that we're the church of Jesus Christ. Over the history of the church, horrible and ungodly and unjust and unrighteous things have been done in the name of Jesus. That's just true. Some of the most vile racism that, that's ever existed has come 
from people who call themselves Christians. Some of the most heavy segregation that's ever been fought for and defended has come from churches who do not want different races and different cultures to be intermingled into their body. Things that have been done, atrocities have been done, crosses have been burnt, crusades have been made, all in the name of Christianity. And we have to be honest about that. And when people identify that about the church, we have to honestly own that they are right and that that is true. And when people from outside the church look and say, but this is part of your history too, we in humility have to accept that that is part of the history of people who call themselves Jesus. We have to be honest about that. Now, let me say this. We also have to be honest that some of the greatest reforms and most clear calls for justice and greatest sacrifices on behalf of justice have also been made by the church. The church was one of the first to stand against slavery, for instance, when Dr. King, in the name of Jesus, marched and godly people locked arms with him and we marched against these injustices. That was also the church. So it's not that everybody in the church is guilty all the time. We can honestly say that godly people have fought for godly justice. But we also have to honestly say that people in the name of Jesus have acted at times the most unjustly to people. And at a time like this, for the core issues of the racial divide, for oppression, for hearing the voices of other people, for people who feel marginalized and disenfranchised, the people of God need to hear that and respond in a godly way to it. We need to do that on racial issues. We need to do that on cultural issues. We need to do that on socioeconomic issues. And the people of God also need to be praying for our authorities, supporting our police officers, many of whom love Jesus and love the people that they serve. We would always want to stand and land at the place of justice, the justice that Jesus promised and the justice that he commanded his people to, to live out, to walk in, to love, and to embrace. Another principle that I, I is right from scripture that I think is very helpful in this time is this one, that we as the people of God should be quick to listen and slow to speak. We should be quick to listen and slow to speak. James talks about this so clearly. Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James ties it all together. He says, you got to listen to each other, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. And one of the things that's difficult and the circumstances that we're in right now is that we as a culture are quick to speak, refuse to listen, and we're quick to become angry. And James is speaking specifically here to the people of God. 
Dear brothers and sisters, he says, people of God, people who unify around the person of Jesus Christ, he's looking at us and saying, you need to be different. And guys, listen to me. If there was ever an example that the church could set in this day and age, it's this one. That we listen to our brothers and sisters when they're expressing their frustration, when they're talking about how historically things have affected them, when they're sharing the stories of their personal interactions with racism or oppression, we should be quick to listen to that. When when we have a, a friend that's a police officer or a governmental authority who says, please don't lump me in with bad cops. Please don't lump me in with these people who act that way. We should be quick to listen to that brother and sister, not rushing to get our opinions out or reciting a a motto, but quick to listen and then slow to become angry. Can I hear you? Can it affect the way that I think? And can I govern my emotions to the degree that we're able to interact with each other in love? There's a a quote that I love, and it says this. It says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. And when I'm in a disagreement with someone, especially when I don't understand what they've gone through, I've never walked a mile in their shoes. I've I've never been a minority. And if I want to understand how they feel and what they think, The only way for me to learn that is to listen to their heart and mind. I've never been a cop. I've never been on the streets. So the only way for me to understand what my brothers or sisters go through in their profession is for me to hear their heart and their mind. And what happens with the people of God when we're slow to speak, when we're quick to listen, when we're slow to become angry, those two brothers and sisters can come together in unity. They can learn deeply. They can love and respect each other in a deeper way. And the end result is that Jesus is glorified and the church is unified because of it. James says specifically, this is to mark the life of a believer that we are to conduct ourselves in this way. Another principle that Jesus lays out for us is this, and we actually talk about this principle a lot, but it applies in a big way right now, and it's this, that Christ's followers are commanded to love their enemies. Did you know that when Jesus says this, and we'll read it here in a second, he doesn't make this a suggestion or like a higher ideal He literally makes it a command. Look what he says here. He says, you've heard that it it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, I tell you, I command you, love your enemies and pray for those who oppress you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? 
Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus looks at a Christ follower. I'm talking to Christ followers specifically. And he says, one of the things that is a distinctive of someone who is adopted by the heavenly Father and filled with the Holy Spirit of God is that they love their enemies and pray for them. They love their enemies and pray for them. When I pray for my enemy and I ask God to create a love for me for my enemy, what God is doing in that process is changing me. He's giving me a sympathy and a compassion and even a passion for the soul of that person who is persecuting me and striking out against me. And that directive is to go like a blanket and a banner over the people of God. That regardless of what side of whatever issue we are on and regardless of the history and background of what has happened to us or not happened for us, when we look at another person who we would naturally oppose, they have oppressed us or they're doing something we don't want them to do. And we look at that person, Jesus says, I want you to look at them the way that I look at you. You were an enemy in your heart against me. Your sin persecuted me. Your sin caused my innocent blood to be shed. And I chose to love you. And the Bible says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now praying for us. It's a huge thing to forgive as I've been forgiven, to love as I've been loved. As a Christ follower, this marks me. It marks us as a church. It would mark us as an individual follower of Jesus Christ, that I would love my enemy. Now, here's the next point. The Bible is clear that Jesus hates any division in his church. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, the unity that I have with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church of Jesus Christ is the strongest testimony that I can have for the power and the validity of Jesus Christ. This is what the scripture says. Jesus, again, John 17, he's talking to his father and he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Christ followers later on, we believe through the message of the apostles, the disciples, and Christ himself. So he's praying for us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When we stand together in unity and we love each other, even though we may not agree we may not agree about politics. We may, not, we may not agree about economic issues. 
We may not agree about whether you should wear a face mask or not right now. It, it doesn't matter what the disputable issue is. When we unify around the person of Jesus Christ and the word of God, and we determine to love each other, even when we have differences, it gives validity and testimony to who Christ is and what he did for you and I. And you start to put this together, see? We all, as Christ followers, should love justice. We all, as Christ followers, should, should hate racism righteously. We all as Christ followers should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And suddenly when this begins to be the tone of the church and the tone of my personal life as a Christ follower, the unity that comes in Christ that before I would ever see your politic or your global place in the world or your culture or your skin color, what I would see is a brother or sister a fellow image bearer of God, a fellow temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we unify together, when we unify around each other, it's a powerful and moving testimony to the credibility and to the work of God in our lives. God hates division in his church. And we can disagree we can disagree on disputable issues, Romans chapter 14. But we cannot disagree on non-disputable issues. We cannot hate and love simultaneously. That's a non-disputable issue. We cannot cry for justice and turn a blind eye to injustice. That's a non-disputable issue. And when we rally around those things, we rally together in unity as a family, as a body, as a church. Here's the last thing I would say about this, and I think it's important, that at the core of everything that we see happening around us, we have to remember that the issue is always the heart of humanity. Tragically, what's happening in our culture is actually not new. It's a cycle Tragically, human beings always want to hold power over other human beings. Tragically, human beings are always going to tend toward covetousness and greed. Tragically, we're always going to put our own interests above the interests of others. It is the nature of humanity because our nature is sinful. And at the heart of everything that we're dealing with, we're ultimately dealing with an issue of sin. This is what the scripture says, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Jeremiah says, you wanna know what God knows? God knows that the heart is deceitful that I am, I am never at the position that I think I am. I, I am never as learned. I am never as fair. I am never as impartial. I am never fully right. None of that is ever going to be true of me because sin and selfishness will always drive part of me. So the solution to that 
is not a new law. It is not a redistribution of wealth. The solution to that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the death to myself so that I am living for the one who died for me. This is why King David cried this. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David looked and said, God, the problem is me. The problem is my heart. The, The problem is the sinful nature within me. That's why I do the things that I don't wanna do. And if I'm going to solve a problem, I have to start with the person of Jesus Christ. I have to start with the humbling of my own spirit. And then I have to start with humbly accepting the word of God planted in me, allowing God to define and to direct my life. That means that ultimately for this, the real solution is to take a hard look internally. And we do that individually, we do that corporately as a church, and then even as a nation. And ask myself, what is is driving and motivating my heart? I love this quote. It says this, when what grieves God no longer grieves you, your heart is hard. Did you catch that? When what grieves God no longer grieves you, your heart is hard. Racism grieves God. People that he loves, that he created, that he created purposely to be diverse and different. When I see racism and it doesn't grieve me, and yet it grieves God, My heart is hard. When I see injustice, when I see a man whose life was taken from him in an unjust way, and George Floyd is one of a thousand examples. And I see that and it doesn't grieve me because it grieves God. My heart is hard. When I see police officers that are being attacked, And the Bible is clear that God gave them authority in order to bring about justice. And these men and women who are doing their job and who would lay down their life for a stranger and and they're being lumped in with corrupt and bad cops. That grieves God and it should grieve me. And if it doesn't, my heart is hard. And when division comes into the church and the church denies that sin is a part of the church of Jesus Christ in its past, sinful men have done sinful things for sinful reasons. We have to be honest about that. And it grieves God that his name and his bride and his message is tainted and perverted. It should grieve us. And when I look at my own heart and I look at my own mind and I catch those things, I catch a closed-mindedness. I I don't want to be spoken to. I just want you to hear me. 
I'm so mad about this that I can't even think about this. It grieves God. And it should grieve me. And when it does it, my heart is hard. See? At the core, always, of the struggles of humanity is sin. And at the core of the solution to sin, always, is Christ. And the people of God, the ministers of reconciliation, making sure that we have aligned ourselves with Christ, that the church is aligned with Christ, that as we want things and push things to happen in like public policy arenas, that the heart of Jesus is reflected in those things. And long before politics and long before agendas and long before frustrations and long before hate, the transformed heart and the renewed mind is what drives the people of God and defines the church of God. The scripture tells us that in order to have healing in our land, the people of God must first humble themselves. We must set aside our rights. My opinion versus your opinion. It says we must turn from our wicked ways. I encourage you, I dare you, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any racism or bigotry in your heart. And I don't really care what color your skin is. As a Christ follower, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any wicked way, whether it's historically, it's a part of your culture, or it's an action or word that you've taken. And if the people of God do not humble themselves and do not repent and turn from their wicked ways, I repent, I, I ask for forgiveness from God. Forgive the, the sins of the church, God. Forgive the sins of a nation. Forgive the sins of a people. Forgive the sins of a protester. Forgive the sins of the silent one. Change my heart. And if God's people called by his name, humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and repent, then he hears our cry. What's the cry? I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to love like you. We want to reflect you. We, we want to be a place of grace and safety and, and he will heal our land. And it is the only solution. He will bring healing and the healing of the land will start one person at a time, one congregation at a time. But it starts with the yielding of the people of God. Purify my heart, change my mind and bring healing to the relationships around me. As we face all of this, I want to be abundantly clear as I speak on behalf of Grace Church 
I want you to, to know with clarity that Grace Church seeks to be a place of grace and love and truth. We unequivocally denounce racism. It has not been and will not be ever tolerated at Grace Church. And when it's seen, it will be addressed and it will be addressed with love, but truth and clarity. As a church, we call for justice for all of humanity. And when we see injustice, we acting as an agent, as a minister of reconciliation, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, will seek to bring justice, will seek to stand in the place of justice. In any way that we're able to do that, that will drive us and define us as a church. We also stand unequivocally with those that God has placed in authority. There are bad cops. There are bad pastors. There are unethical cops. There are unethical pastors. Every group has people who misrepresent that group. But for the police officers and the governmental authorities in the Congregation of Grace Church, I will introduce you, if you've never met them, to men and women who love you, who love Christ, who serve you, who would lay down their life for you. And they have our support as well. And we love them and we wanna pray for them and support them and their families as they enter into this cultural fray. And above all, what I wanna say unequivocally and I want you to catch this and understand this. Grace Church will always be defined and directed by Christ, his heart, his mind, and his word. And as a follower of Jesus, we are committed to yielding to that. We will not do it perfectly. It's impossible for imperfect people to love and serve a perfect God perfectly. But it is our heart and it is our cry. And we come together from every race, color, creed, background, culture, socioeconomic standing. And we unite together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Whoever you are that's listening to me right now, and whatever your background, I want you to know that Grace Church is a place that you will find love. And it won't be perfect, like I said, not claiming that by a long shot, but it will be offered. And you will find acceptance, and you will find an embrace and you will find people of all backgrounds here who are eager and willing and anxious and passionate to help Jesus make sense to you. So we love you and we wanna be known as a people of love 
And we want to be the people that Christ has called us to be. All right, would you pray with me? Jesus, all that we've talked about here today, Lord, help it to break through to our hearts and our minds. I know that it's impossible to talk about all of this in a perfect way. So God, any way that I've fallen short or I've lacked clarity or please overcome that by your spirit, overcome my frailties and my failings. God, for the people of grace and, and just your people, would you help us to be a light in a dark world that our love and our acceptance and our passion to know and understand and live with each other would be a shining example. God, for us as individuals, we need to go out of our way right now, out of our way to find people that we are unfamiliar with, that we don't know much about and create friendships to understand their story, to understand their perspective and vice versa. So that through relationships and love with our neighbor, we can, we can change and we can help be a catalyst for healing to this land. God, for those who've been oppressed, strengthen, help. Let us hear their voice and their perspective. For our police officers and governmental officials, strengthen, help, protect, and let us hear their perspective. And for us as families and individuals, strengthen, help, and let us be the ministers that you've called us to be. We love you, Jesus. Help us in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen.